Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Welcome to episode 39 of The Reclaimed Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? I'm doing well, Jason. Uh, glad to be with you again today and to continue our conversation as we, we try to navigate how to be effective as congregations, as local churches for the sake of the gospel today in our current environment, not 10 years ago, not 10 years from now, but right now. What can we be doing to proclaim the good news of Jesus in our world and to uh, reach the next generations with that with that news as well. And so we're continuing a conversation today that really kind of started last week. And we have a guest uh, today that's going to walk right on the heels of this conversation of how do we reach younger. And I just got to say, this is just, you know, me thanking, you know, kind of the the, the situation here. Finally, someone from the West Coast, okay? Finally, somebody <laughs> in my own time zone that has, you know, we record right in the middle of my lunch hour. So, you know, their t- stomach was grumbling along the way. And so, anyway, just. That's right. You are, you know, I think Philippians too, and I think of you. I um, think so. Yeah. Let's, let's really serving like Jesus. I know. Did. What can you do? So. Um, but uh, really great guest today. And, yeah. and share us a little bit about Brad. Tell us a little bit about him, and we're going to hear this conversation. Fantastic interview today. Yeah, uh, Brad Griffin, he is the director of the Fuller Youth Institute, and uh, he's he's authored several uh, just really great youth ministry books. He's also the co-author of Growing Young, along with Kara Powell, and uh, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the research that went into the book, which is really a big, big project, uh, measuring and talking about how churches, first of all, the state of churches, how they are not connecting with younger generations, but more importantly what they found in churches that are. And the results will surprise you. I found that when I was reading the book and when we were talking with Brad, I was really, really encouraged that your church may not be as far off as you might think. Maybe you don't have the fog machine and the uh, you know, awesome display of a uh, youth center, but that might be just fine. And you might be able to reach and grow younger. So I'm so excited for our folks to hear this conversation. I think it's cool, too, that um, we've now heard, we will have heard from both the director of the Princeton Institute for Youth Ministry and now the Fuller Youth Institute, which is cool because we're talking with experts and it's really become, uh, in a lot of ways, it feels like a youth ministry podcast, but this is really for senior leaders to get their heads around because there are a lot of things that we talk about and can talk about. And, and we've kind of hit many of those already. But I, I, there's something that feels very foundational and core about this conversation. What does it look like to engage younger generations in the life yeah. of the church and more importantly with the gospel? Yeah. And I think uh, on top of that, if you kind of listen um, in these conversations, that there are some practices that we can adopt that will impact the whole life of the church. Uh, as well and help us be healthier across the board. So these are, there's some thinking here about growing young and, and, and kind of reaching the next generations that are kind of driving this conversation. But some, some of the outcomes have been 
about the need to adapt and change over time that we know need, that need exists in other areas of our, of our church. But this can be one of those areas. If we can begin work in this area, it can actually be a catalyst, as Brad is going to share, for to see that happen in other areas of, of our life together as, as local congregations. So fantastic. I can't wait to... Uh, to share Brad with you. In the meantime, we want to point to our sponsor, Belay Solutions. Again, uh, thanking them for being a part of the podcast and then helping us do what we do and share great interviews and thoughts with you and be part of the conversation with you. And uh, Belay is there to help churches get better and to uh, do some of the things that will help pastors thrive in their role by taking things off of their plate and helping you do what only you can do as a leader. And so Jason, I know that's going well for you guys at Tower Hill and uh, we would recommend people check out Belay Solutions, go to their website, belaysolutions.com forward slash reclaim leader. And there's some resources there for you and opportunities just to explore, maybe get a shot, try it out, see what happens. So, yeah. yeah and, and, and I want to also share, uh, you're probably going to want today's show notes. If, if you're not a show notes person, you might not be used to doing this, but there's going to be some good links, including a link that Brad talked about as within us, a free assessment tool for your church uh, in the whole growing young conversation. So when you do that, to find our episode show notes, you simply go to reclaimleader.com forward slash. And in this case, it's episode 39. And that's how you find each episode forward slash the word episode, and then the number of the episode. So this is episode 39. You can get those show notes on there. You'll also see it. We'll, we'll push it out to social media. It'll go out to Facebook. Uh, if you want to follow us and join the conversation on Facebook, just go to Reclaim Leader Podcast. And it's a closed group in that, you know, you have to ask to be in it. And the reason we do that is because we really want to foster genuine and safe conversation with other pastors. So I encourage you to do that. Give us a like on iTunes. Make sure that people can find us. Um, and uh, and if you're really appreciating what we're doing, we'd love it if you share it with your colleagues and friends. So um, it's been a lot of fun. And I love, love, love uh, the conversations we've been having and excited for you to hear today's conversation with Brad Griffin. So let's get right into it. Here we go with Brad Griffin. Well, welcome everyone to our interview with Brad Griffin. We're so excited to have him on the podcast today. Uh, talking about culture and youth ministry and churches. And really, uh, we've been on this kick where we've been talking a lot of youth ministry on the podcast because it's so important. And and not just youth ministry, but what does it mean to reach into younger generations, period, uh, in the life of especially the mainline denominational church in America? Well, Brad, uh, many of you know who he is. He is an author. He is also the director of the Fuller Youth Institute where he develops research-based training for youth workers and parents. He's a speaker, blogger, and volunteer youth pastor. Uh, he's co-authored uh, the book that we're going to be talking about today, Growing Young, and several sticky faith books, Right Click, Parenting Your Teenager in a Digital Media World. Which, man, if that's not a juicy title, I don't, I don't know any parent right now, a teenager who wouldn't just grab that off the shelf. And the series, Can I Ask That? Eight Hard Questions About God and Faith. Brad and his family are suffering for Jesus in Southern California, and uh, we are so glad that, that you're with us today on the podcast. Welcome, Brad. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So tell us about, you know, for not everybody perhaps is familiar yet with the Growing Young Project, that it was really not, not only a book, but it, it was a real extensive look it was a drilling down deep into churches and, and the relationship with younger generations. Tell us, how did you come to be on this project? How did this all start? Yeah, well, Fuller Youth Institute is a 
research-based resourcing arm of Fuller. And so our whole hope is to translate resources um, that a leader can use in, you know, in their churches. And part of what we do then really is listen to leaders. And early on, more than a decade ago, we were listening to leaders. And one of the big questions that kept popping up, in particular, talking with youth pastors, but also with senior leaders, um, was this question of drop-off after high school. Why do we see so many young people walk away from faith, walk away from church? And, you know, the research we could get our hands on indicated up to one out of every two, you know, um, who were involved in churches, who were involved in youth ministries, walk away from God and or the church um, within the first 12 to 18 months after graduation. So, that's tragic. And we started to press into that and we wanted to explore it. And we did a, um, a series of studies that became known as Sticky Faith, um, where, where it's the line of resources that came out of that research, which really looked at that question of how do we create faith longevity, faith that lasts? Um, how can we be more faithful in our churches, our youth ministries, our families? Um, we did a lot more kind of follow-up on trying to understand what can happen in the family to help build faith. And that led us down this road. The more we worked with churches, the more we worked with leaders, the more we realized, man, this is so much bigger than youth ministry. This is a whole church issue. This is a systemic um, challenge and opportunity. And we wanted to understand that better. So that sent us on the road towards the Growing Young Project, which looked at over 250 congregations that were all nominated from across the U.S. for really engaging young people well. We also extended that to look at young adults. So we said there's something going on, not just with teenagers, but with 20-somethings. And so for that study particularly, we looked at churches engaging ages 15 to 29. So roughly high school, post-high school college, and emerging adulthood um, through that decade with the hopes that really we would we could point leaders in any church towards some of the signs of hope and some ideas for what we can all do. Yeah. And, and this, I mean, this is a big project. I mean, this had to take, how yeah. long did it take from start to book? Yeah. Um, Five-ish years um, yeah. really. And that was building on the work from Sticky Faith, but yeah, it, it did. It was, it was a really fun process because we got to talk to folks from all over. Um, we did, you know, we, we logged over 10,000 research hours with an incredible team of research assistants. Um, we traveled around the country and visited churches. We spent hours and hours on the phone doing phone interviews um, with folks who were nominated from those churches. It was, it was pretty laborious. <laughs> uh, and we had an incredible team. And it's just such a privilege to be able to get out there and listen to people tell their stories listen to churches, you know, talk about what they do well and where they struggle. And um, then to, to synthesize all that was, was really a bear, but it was yeah. um, a lot of fun for us. I mean, we're kind of, we're research nerds, but we're also church people and, um, you know, have all, our team has all had stints of serving formally in church roles as well as, you know, and on staff um, as well as serving in volunteer roles and, uh, you know, we care deeply about this because we care about the church and we care about our kids. We're, 
Um, you know, the, the other co-authors on the project, Kara Powell, our executive director, and my colleague Jake Mulder, um, we are also all parents. So we care a lot about the future of the church when we look at our own kids. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so then in that process, you know, you're, you're finding all this information, you're um, interpreting the information. And, you know, when you got done, you know, did you find that the questions you had going in were the same questions you got answers to? Or did that, that all change uh, as you got into the project? I'm curious because um, being someone who was in full-time paid youth ministry, you know, during the time the millennials were all teenagers, and then seeing that they didn't stay in church, it, there was this kind of feeling that all all is not well in the model of youth ministry that we thought was so great and successful. And and I'm wondering, did the results drive you to other questions that you ended up spending more time on? Yes and no. Yeah, they, they certainly. The research has helped unearth questions that are driving the agenda for, you know, our next decade of research. So in that sense, you know, absolutely. Um, The questions, we stayed pretty focused on this question of, okay, what, what does it really take to engage young people? Well, you know, what are these churches doing well? And what have they done to change over time? And, um, so those questions continue to guide us, but in the in the process of asking that, we got all these other questions like, well, there, we're now experiencing a shift really between millennials and w- who are being called Gen Z. Um, you know, we're we're seeing a shift of a lot of churches when they talk about millennials. Um, you know, they're they're just kind of lumping all young people together, but you know, the oldest millennials are like almost turning 40. I mean, you know, they're in their late thirties. Um, the youngest millennials are out of high school. So there's this, uh, there's this gap in between our language and the reality of the young people in front of us. So I think we begin to explore more, okay, what's in that gap, you know, um, what can we learn about that? And, and also just that culture change in churches is hard and slow and, um, sometimes painful and also very, very necessary right now, given the climate of the church across the U S. Yeah. So let's drill down on that a little bit. So the climate of the church across the U S I, I imagine in uh, the average church, which is a average attendance of 75 uh, there's something like 300,000, you know, denominational Protestant churches and I would say for many, they look around and, and they don't see very many young people. Um, what, what, is the, what is the view right now in the relationship between the church and, you know, why is it so important for them to really be thinking about what it takes to grow young? Because I, I, I feel like um, other things seem to come first, like we got to make sure we have the right kind of worship service. Uh, we got to make sure that, you know, we have the right pastors you know we have to make sure that when interestingly probably the the number one uh in my view would would be considering well well, how do we start growing younger um but that's not the first thing that everyone thinks that they want more young people but 
the concepts and ideas that you have in Growing Young, I think, are very different than what people might imagine. So let's start out with, you know, what is, you know, looking at the landscape, what's the 30,000 foot view of the reality of churches in the United States and how well they reach out to young people? Yeah, yeah. Well, by most standards, um, by most measures, it is a pretty, pretty bleak reality that the typical church in the U.S. is both aging and shrinking. And, you know, age, age isn't bad. Um, wisdom comes with age. You know, we're definitely not trying to be ageists in this study at all, which is one of the, you know, maybe first glance critiques of, well, what, well, what about old people? Um, we actually propose that um, senior adults have so, so much to offer in this conversation, but we'll loop back to that. But at the 30,000 foot view, we do have to be honest as we look at the church and say, you know, both in individual churches and kind of the church taken as a whole across the U.S., um, the average age of congregants in America is is getting older by the year. Um, the, the average church is shrinking by the year. Also, the um, what's been commonly called the rise of the nuns, those who choose none as their religious preference, and this has gotten a lot of noise in the media at times, but over, you know, a recent seven year period, that percentage point rose seven percentage points over seven years. Um, and so now almost a quarter of the population of the U S claims no religious affiliation whatsoever. I think that's an incredible opportunity, but it certainly does point to a stark reality that most churches aren't acknowledging because we're still operating in a post-World War II, you know, Christian assumption, America, um, that is, it's just not today's reality. Um, we also, the church across America has a smaller slice, um, or market share, if you want to think in those terms, but a smaller slice of the young adults in our culture. And so while, um, while adults age 18 to 29 make up about 17% of the U S population, they only make up 10% of the church. So we have a smaller slice percentage-wise of that young adult group in particular in the church. So that's kind of the big picture, you know, on the micro level, what you described a little bit ago is this scenario. I mean, a lot of, a lot of pastoral leaders are looking out over their congregation and seeing a lot of gray heads and just wondering what that means for the future, wondering that means for what that means for their church, you know, five, 10 years from now. Um, and asking some questions that sometimes we're afraid to ask or afraid to ask out loud. Yeah. You know, I I hear that. I think that's been some of our experience. I remember a handful of years ago um, as some attendance here started to decline and there was a temptation. They couldn't have counted right. They must've missed, (laughs) must've missed some people in the balcony. Right. Cause there's something uh, kind of alarming, scary, difficult about being really honest and looking yourself in the mirror as a as a congregation and saying something's something's not right, something's not going well, and so I think that's I, I love that I think that's a, the, a crucial starting point that as leaders we would have the courage to help our congregations be honest so we can deal with reality instead of what we wish it was or what we hope it could be or because uh, that's going to lead us to all kinds of bad strategies. But if we can be honest, then maybe we can actually deal with with the problem and and see some solutions come out of it. You know, so that's kind of the work Jason and I've been doing is how do we help name reality for our congregations, even when that reflects maybe on us and some of the challenges that we have as churches. So 
thanks for helping yeah. us do that. I think that's a crucial, crucial first step. Yeah. I love, I love the quote in the book that you quote uh, Max Dupree and uh, he says the first job of a leader is to define reality. And I, I immediately highlighted that so hard that I almost tore the page, but, <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like that really is the beginning place to, to have that open, honest conversation. Okay. Okay. Well, how can we start growing young? How can we start having acknowledge we're not good at it and we haven't been for a long time and it, yeah. and it may not be what we think it is. That's right. And instead of guessing, let's go find some research-based um, evidence to pursue some strategies that might actually work. Because I think maybe for a lot of leaders out there, maybe congregations with really great intentions, just start throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it sticks and that something works instead of yeah. being, you know, kind of looking for resources like like you've provided and saying, okay, what does that mean for us in our context? How can we adapt some of these uh, yeah. practices? So crucial stuff for sure. Yeah, that's good. And we actually developed a churchwide assessment for the purpose of helping leaders define reality in their church. And largely because leaders asked us to, you know, they said, okay, we can go say these things to our church, but they're not going to believe this is real. You know, (laughs) How, how are we going to sort of peel back the curtain and show, okay, here's what people really feel. Um, even in churches where there are young people, there are young adults, or there are teenagers, what if we asked them some questions about, you know, their perception of, of our church? So we created a churchwide assessment for that um, that's available on our website, fulleryouthinstitute.org. Um, and, and part of that too, both to help churches listen, as well as to help them avoid just some of the common uh, misperceptions or the missteps that we take. So what we find is when you, when a leader begins to become more aware of that reality, sometimes they jump to sort of knee jerk reactions or common assumptions. And a lot of us are familiar with those assumptions, those kind of tropes that, that get thrown out there of, well, if we only had more, you know, like a bigger church, bigger churches do this well. Um, larger numbers, you know, are the answer or, well, if we just had more budget, um, we had more resources, if we had a better facility, I can't tell you how many churches I've talked to who said mm-hmm. we built a, um, a gym and called it a family activity center or a family life center because we wanted to attract young families in our neighborhood. And, you know, at the end of the day, we just had a gym. Um, or, or like that worked great in the nineties when an attractional church model or a seeker sensitive church model was palatable. Today's young adults don't find that model palatable anymore. Um, and, and we don't know why, you know, know, like most, most leaders don't really know why, or we go after a kind of hip, cool, young pastor mentality. Well, if we'll just hire a younger pastor, hire a young worship leader, hire a young youth pastor, these are the answers that we go for. And we realize that um, at least in our research, it's played out that, you know, cool isn't necessarily a, a clincher for young people. Um, in fact, entertainment value is not a clincher for young people, great facilities or great numbers. You know, those are not necessarily what young people are looking for in a church and to be straightforward, we thought that was great news that as it turns out, these aren't the things that young people are looking for. These aren't the secrets to having a church that connects with younger um, adults and teenagers. Well, 
And yeah. I, I mean, that's so huge right there because so many uh, churches have disqualified themselves from uh, reaching out before they ever got started because they think they could never afford to be that kind of ministry. Um, do you think, though, when it comes to technology and uh, churches that can put together, you know, great um, ministry environments for teenagers, that there is an expectation of technology, but they're not wowed by the technology. It, it's like they expect that there's going to be like Wi-Fi in, in your church, but it, that doesn't impress them. But if it's not there, they notice. I mean, was there anything that was said about that or just, you know, uh, compelling uh, visual elements in the teaching or um, did that come up at all in your research? It came up in different ways. I think one way I would summarize it would be to say that um, young people are conditioned. And if we're going to look specifically at teenagers, you know, our teenagers are really conditioned by how we have, by the narratives we've given them um, and by the expectations we've set for them about church. And so if we've set the expectation that church is going to be a highly entertaining place, that church is going to be, um, a, a place where we're going to create a consumer product for them to show up and, and consume, then that's what they'll expect. Um, if we, it is possible to create a different kind of narrative around what church is, who this body is, you know, what happens, what it's for that, that kind of, of, of reality. Um, I, I mean, we're experimenting with this a lot in my, own church with kids and teenagers of what, I mean, one of the, and it's a church of under 200. Um, we don't have, you know, we hardly have any staff. We don't, you know, we don't have a youth pastor. Um, we, I volunteer in a role kind of coordinating some other volunteers and that's our youth ministry. Part of what we've said is, you know, we can't, we can't compete with the entertainment value that they can find everywhere else. So we're not going to actually try to do that at all we're going to lean into the things we can do well. We can offer them a community that feels like family. We can offer them a place to be known. We can offer them adults who are going to stick with them and invest in them and care about them. Um, We can offer them some context for meaning making. We can offer them some context where they can have fun together and let off some steam um, and be teenagers, sometimes untethered from technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we can give them context where they can laugh at and make fun of our lack of technology while knowing how much they're loved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, so there's, there's sort of a, uh, you know, like that's a narrative that, that we're trying to kind of work on building. And so it sets a different level of expectation. Now, you know, they may show up at another youth group where the expectation is really different. It's, it's lights, it's stage, it's dynamic speaker, you know, it's a killer worship band. Um, that sets pretty high expectations for, the, for what you're there for and what it's about and yeah. what the experience is going to be. So, you know, I think as leaders, we have more opportunity than we realize to shape the narrative of what goes on um, in our ministries. And I think sometimes we feel powerless to shape those, those narratives, but, but maybe we have, maybe we have more potential than we realize to say, Hey, this is actually about something different. Um, We know you can go everywhere 
and, you know, um, be entertained. Yeah. And that's actually not what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's so good. And I mean, really for kids, I mean, you think about the role that technology already plays in their lives that that they really crave authenticity. And when you had mentioned about people building a a churches, building a family life center, uh, I, I mean, like kids smell marketing a mile away. (laughs) I mean, they're just so used to having it everywhere and to have a place that's really teed up to be a place of authentic relationship. It seems like the church is actually, or should be perfectly positioned to address that need um, more, more than any other, or at least, you know, I would certainly hope so. Well, and even just listening to you talk right there and sharing kind of what your experiences in your church there, Brad. I think I hear a bunch of pastors taking a deep sigh of relief and going, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't have to build this amazing, spectacular thing. I need to do what I'm called to do and help create a great environment for relationships to grow and thrive and develop. And that can look like a whole bunch of different kinds of things. It doesn't have to be this fancy experience with all the latest and greatest of everything because we can't keep up and and that's ultimately not what it's about. So I'm feeling a little bit of a sigh of relief, Jason. I don't know about you, but probably some folks listening in too, that we can do yeah. this without, uh, you know, uh, all the bells and whistles of stuff. And so, some probably going, dang, we just spent all that money. <laughs> yeah. And if you just fill your family life center, uh, just that's ignore right. everything we just said. Go with it. It's going to be okay. Right. God can take and use your family life center too. But uh that's right. That absolutely is not meant to be a word of judgment on sure, you know, sure. the life sure. center. And, and that may actually be a wonderful, faithful step. And it may be an incredible resource. It's, it's when we look to those kind of moves to, to save us, you know, or yeah. to, okay, the church is dying. What are we going to do to save it? Or, you know, what are we going to do to try to attract? Yeah. I mean, we use that word attract, which is awful, but to try to attract young people or attract young families. And, you know, people do feel they know when they're a target demographic. Um, they know when they're the, the, you know, the aim of a marketing ploy and that's um, nobody wants to be that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's take a few moments. I, I mean, as I was reading through the, through the book again, I was feeling very, very encouraged. And, um, as you, as you and your research saw like churches that were really doing this well, what were some of the common characteristics that they, that they had, you know, if it wasn't about being cool church, what was it about mostly? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are, there are some that, you know, often when I'm in a crowd, um, you know, maybe have an opportunity to, to train or to teach on, on some of this, I'll ask sort of, what would you think? it would take, or what do you think young people are after today? And, you know, some of the things that we, that we just talked about popped up that, that really aren't necessary, but usually someone right off the bat will say something about, um, about justice, about, um, um, serving, you know, being socially aware. We certainly did find that. And, and we found that, that young people really want to contextualize that in, this narrative of, of being the best neighbors. So they want a church that's aware of what's going on in their local neighborhood and their global neighborhood and is responding in some way, both to needs as well as responding to social issues and realities and, and, and being willing to talk about those. Um, that, that does matter a lot to young people. That's not a huge surprise. 
um, but it was there. Um, one that that maybe you know w- was was a surprise to some folks was often people will talk about authenticity, and that can mean a whole lot of things, you know. And and we've already mentioned it here. But one thing we we found was that while we've been driving for cool in in trying to engage young people, what they've really wanted is warmth. And so we began to say warm is the new cool that, um, which I think is incredible news that that young people are looking for warm community. One of the, um, when we began to explore and, and code language that was coming out of interviews, we put this kind of cluster of terms together that we started calling warmth. And um, among those terms, one of the phrases that rose to the top of the way that young people describe their churches is like family. These people are like my family. This is my family here. Um, You know, I don't know what I would do without these people. And we began to realize just how powerful that, that one characteristic is that warmth is such a predictor of, um, of vibrance um, of spiritual vitality, um, uh, of so many other aspects of a thriving church. And, you know, part of the reason that's such good news is because you don't need any budget to facilitate warmth, you know, <laughs> warmth is a, is a posture and a mindset. And, and we can, I mean, we found warmth in like old fashioned potlucks, you know, I mean, th- there are so many ways that we can become a warmer church even if we don't have the budget or the capacity or the right people to become a cooler church. And I think that's good news for everybody. Um, A couple other pieces I'll throw out here um, that one of the, the real commonalities we found was um, in leadership and not necessarily the who, but the, um, the style and approach of leadership or what we might call the leadership culture of a church. And we began to call it keychain leadership. This sense of, you know, if you look at your keychain right now, you've got keys that give you access. They give you um, entry. They give you, on a, in a certain sense, um, you know, some level of, of, of authority or, um, uh, or power. And we found that keychain leaders are the type of leaders who they're aware of the keys that are on their keychain and they're looking for ways to share those keys with others, in particular with younger leaders. So they're saying, okay, who, who is showing some potential? Who's interested in taking on leadership? Who could be mentored? Um, they're, they're looking at giving away power and, and opening up access to decision-making um, not to just the usual suspects, but also to maybe emerging leaders and those who who might feel like their voice is not as represented in their church. And that was a that was a common characteristic that was that was pretty important. Um, tied to that keychain leadership and warmth is also a um, a factor that we talked about as empathy, which was actually one of the the commitments that we identified last because it sort of bubbled to the surface that cut across all the others was we realized, you know what, these churches all at some point decided, we're just going to listen to the young people around us. We're going to take their stories seriously. We're going to take their concerns and their struggles seriously. Um, 
we're not just going to shrug them off or, you know, bad mouth them or say, oh, those millennials, we're, we're going to, we're going to pay attention and, and honor that they're on a journey. It looks different maybe than the journey that we took. Um, it's hard to be a teenager today. It's hard to be a young adult today in some particular kinds of ways. And, and we're going to be, we're going to actually increase our empathy um, for that journey. That's so good. Mm-hmm. I, and I think so important. Um, I could hear, you know, I'm just sort of like hearing a, a pastor out there listening and being like, yeah, that's great. But how do I do that? How, how, what does this actually look like in real time? What are churches doing to create, to do something with that empathy? Um, do you have some things that to share with like, you know, how could a church just get started um, building this new culture, which will take some time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let me actually share a story in answer to that. And this is a story of a congregation that was well poised to grow old. Um, They're an older, smaller congregation in rural South Dakota, Um, you know, under a hundred folks there, most of them over 65, you know, by all accounts, they were, I mean, you could look at them and say, oh, it's hopeless. You know, (laughs) they're they're just going to grow old and die. And one woman in that church, um, her name's Vonda. And she just said, you know what? I don't buy it. Uh, I'm not going to let this be. I care too much about our church and I care too much about our community um, and about the teenagers here and the young adults here. And so she just took it on herself um, to say, you know what, I'm going to look for ways to bridge these gaps. And she started by empathizing, by understanding, by listening to what young people were experiencing and also to their experiences at church. She also was sort of, um, she was in between generations. And so she had friends who were in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and, and loved them. And they had been her mentors, you know, and so she was looking for some ways to connect them. So she began to create context. And we're talking about a youth group of, you know, maybe 10 kids or, or less sometimes. And so you can do a lot when you have a group that small. So she just started asking older adults in the congregation, um, would, would you just host us in your house? Could you provide the space and maybe some snacks? Um, and then I'll lead the Bible study, you know? Um, so they began shifting youth group around to different homes in the congregation. And that sort of began to slowly crack open, you know, these, these relationships where there had been distance, it was closing that gap. Um, some of the students liked to golf, and one day she took a couple students golfing with this older woman named Trudy, who was in her 90s. And, you know, somewhere mid-course, Trudy sunk a 30-foot putt, and all <laughs> the kids went wild. You know, and they, they told that story. I mean, when we visited their church, this was one of the stories they told. You know, um, another story they told, the students told this, and the adults told this story was eventually not Vonda, but the pastor began to look for ways to increase that connection. And so um, one night at a, a, a regular prayer meeting, um, he decided to, to ask students specifically if they would pray for the requests that were being made by adults in the church as those requests were coming up. And when it came time to pray, 
a lot of the prayers were offered by students. And it was this powerful, transformative moment where older adults in the congregation were hearing the genuine heartfelt prayers of the students. And, and the young people, when we were interviewing them and they told this story, often in tears, they would say, that's when, that's when the adults knew that we took our faith seriously, you know? And older adults would say like, that's when we realized that they genuinely loved and cared about us and our church and God, you know? And so it was little moments like that. It was, it was these little efforts that built up over time that, you know, there were some programmatic shifts too. And there were some, um, some more attempts at getting young people involved in, in weekly worship services. And, you know, it was slow incremental change over time, but it took really somebody saying, I'm going to champion this. I'm not going to just let young people walk away, but we're going to figure out as a church, how can we lean in? How can we really listen? And what changes might we need to make? They are not the coolest, hippest church in town, but they have a thriving ministry to young people and their church is thriving and their church is actually growing numerically, which is not true in every church that we, you know, that, that we've studied, but, um, but they're not, they're no longer on that, you know, downhill spiral towards death that they were, you know, a handful um, or a decade ago. And it has taken time. You know, that has been a slow process over, over several years, but they really are in a place where they're thriving, which is why they were nominated for our study. And we were so glad that a church like that was nominated alongside churches, you know, of thousands who have a lot more resources and, and are doing different kinds of things. And some of the same, some of the same, you know, the, the, the challenge in larger churches is how do we make this experience more personal? You know, how do we make it smaller? How do we make sure that every young person is connected in a smaller way with um, adults who care about them and know them and know their name from week to week and they're not just lost in the sea? That's awesome. I mean, really, you know, a lot's being made of Gen Z and Barna's research came out and scared everyone to death where you know, teens are twice as likely as adults to declare themselves atheists. And, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And, and everybody's freaking out. But are we all just going to kind of, should we all just sort of kick ourselves a little bit and just be like, it may just be as simple as relationships? <laughs> <laughs> like what it's always yeah. been forever? Yeah. Well, and it may just be as simple as Jesus, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. And this is another... You know, one of the interesting things to us, too, was the power of revisiting the Jesus narrative. And, and that's not doing away with the whole of Scripture. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in the whole narrative of Scripture has so much value um, in our churches and our training and our formation. Um, but, you know, as we talk to young people about we would ask them about the gospel or about Christianity and sometimes one interview in particular really stood out where this young woman corrected the interviewer and said, well, you know, are you asking me about the gospel of Christianity or the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because Christianity carries a lot of, you know, baggage, especially for many millennials and for, and for Gen Z. There's a lot of baggage there. There's awkwardness there. But if you want to talk about Jesus, now there's a character who's compelling. Wow. And if we can get back to what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? Um, what, what does that mean in our lives? That's a compelling kind of conversation. So what I would say about the Gen Z piece is 
I think the opportunity is great for us to put everything on the table and rethink it, to ask good, hard questions about, well, what kind of gospel are we proclaiming? Is it a gospel that's faithful to Jesus Christ or is it a gospel that's become so tied up in, in things like nationalism, for example? I mean, I mean, I think we have to ask that question if we're going to talk about Gen Z because they're looking at a majority of our churches and saying, wow, that God and country thing is kind of warped and I don't get it. There are other, there are social issues that Gen Z is looking at the church and saying, those are not issues for us. Why are you, why are you fighting? Why are you making such a big deal out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, my generation, that's not even a, a question. Now, those are realities that we can grapple with. We can figure out how to talk about scripture, how to look at, um, how, to, how to look at you know, teaching from scripture and, and wrestle with that. I'm not suggesting that we don't wrestle with those things. In fact, we need to wrestle with those, all those things. But let's see it as a great opportunity to rethink what we're doing, what we're saying, rethink our programming, rethink our staffing even, you know, um, I think there's an incredible opportunity for us to listen hard to today's young people and for them to show us the way forward because it might be different from the way we've been doing things. And if we're, if we're willing to be self-critical enough, one of our our colleagues here at at Fuller who studies church change and um, it's kind of a, uh, a guru of organizational change, Scott Cormode, he says, you know, the church is really well calibrated for 1983. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and most of our church structures, you know, our programming, our, um, I mean, our physical structures, our carpet, you know, there's so many things <laughs> that are really well calibrated for 1983, meaning we have a lot in place that worked well in the eighties and nineties that doesn't work well anymore. And rather than trying to revive a dead dog, what if we actually look for, you know, for some maybe more faithful ways to move forward in ministry and instead of trying to push us backwards into tired models. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's exactly the work that's in front of us and challenging as leaders coming in and so challenging to get there, you know, and to kind of help people get their heads and hearts around that idea. But once they do, it's amazing to watch when someone gets to that point where they're willing to let go and embrace risk-taking and change for the sake of the gospel. There's, there's an amazing thing that happens. And so we've seen aspects of that in both of our churches and then places where we're still stuck in 1983. I can think of the cranberry carpet in part of our church that I just, you know, <laughs> just, wow. But right. That's 1994 or something like that. But you know, if we can get that, I think there's something alive and we see God at work and the stories that come out of that. And so I'm hopeful that as leaders in the local church, we can help our congregations risk change and experience the freedom, and the life that comes from it. But someone's got to kind of take the lead and have the courage to step out there first. And frankly, it might cost us our job. So <laughs> you're putting yourself out there and putting your your life and your ministry on the line a little bit, but it's the faithful thing to do, like you said. So yeah, good yeah. stuff. Well, I guess I need to take yeah. down the Nirvana poster in my room. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> still in the 90s, you know. Um, <laughs> it's not bad to like 90s. <laughs> That's right. Okay, good. good. I'm feeling better about myself. Um, 
So Brad, what was there something, you know, in all the research that you were doing that genuinely surprised you? I, I mean, that really you walked away from me like, wow, I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. One of the core commitments uh, of these churches growing young that I haven't mentioned yet is the commitment to prioritize young people everywhere. Hmm. And part of what was surprising about that is, you know, we wondered when we really got in congregations and started asking questions and especially in site visits, we always wanted to meet with older adults, with senior adults. And we wanted to meet with groups who know more about the history of that particular church. And, you know, often in those contexts, it was, it was senior adults. And we would, we tried to ask some questions around, you know, what have you had to give up and what's that been like? And what, what does it really feel like? Does it feel like older adults are marginalized at the expense or that, that we're prioritizing young people at the expense of older adults? Now, I want to say that certainly can happen. And older adults do get marginalized in congregations. That's real. What we found in these churches, by and large, was a different narrative. And that narrative was kind of summarized by a pastor who said, you know, when we prioritize young people, everyone rises. Everyone rises. Wow. So there was a different take on, on resources. So this, this sense of often we have a scarcity model, a scarcity mindset in our churches where you think, okay, the pie is only so big and everybody gets a slice of the pie. And if you give young people a larger slice of the pie than we're giving them now, then that means somebody else gets a smaller slice. And what we heard over and over again was something different happens. If you give young people a larger slice of the pie, the whole pie gets bigger. Yeah. That there's more. That when you prioritize young people and their families, because that also means prioritizing parents, caregivers, those who are investing in young people, it means prioritizing adult discipleship so that young people are discipled well. Um, when you prioritize young people, the whole congregation grows in so many ways. And part of the more that you have there is, you know, when you energize, let's just isolate young adults for a minute. You know, if you isolate, I mean, if you energize young adults in your congregation, that creates an abundance of resources from people who have time and energy and, you know, um, talents to give in ways that are different from the resources of older generations. You also then sometimes re-energize older generations. Um, when you energize young people's, when you free up their imagination and they recognize, oh, the church is open to my ideas. This could be a place that I share some of my innovative thoughts or my entrepreneurial ideas or my you know, the things I'm wondering about when they see church as a, as a context in which they can be free to dream that inspires everyone. Some of their ideas might be bad ideas. Some of their ideas might be ideas you don't act on, (laughs) but the sheer introduction of new ideas. I mean, you know, we've all been around people who they, they have an idea and then that sparks a new idea in us. Right. And And part of the problem in churches is we get the same people around the same tables for decades. And those same people have the same ideas. (laughs) That is huge. That is so huge. Yeah. 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 So just changing our mindset to say, you know, the more we prioritize young people, that creates abundance in our midst. 
on a lot of levels and that's going to bring new life. I, I love it. Um, man, this has been so good. I feel like we could, we could keep going. Um, <laughs> I know that, that you have a life to live. <laughs> but Brad, um, again, thank you for this. We want to encourage everyone to go out and get the book, Growing Young. Uh, we'll also link on the show notes on uh, the Fuller site to, uh, uh, for churches interested in doing that assessment. Um, what else is going on at Fuller Youth Institute? I mean, are there some resources that pastors can, uh, can take advantage of uh, through Fuller? Yeah, absolutely. We, and we share a lot of resources free and we have a weekly email that anyone can sign up for. And we try to share articles, blog posts, um, resources of different kinds there. Um, we also have a web store with, with a whole slate of resources, both around growing young, as well as sticky faith, some of our other initiatives, um, like that technology book that you mentioned for parents is one of those in some curriculum. Um, Specifically related to growing young too, there's a handful of free resources that that pastors might find useful, discussion guides, um, a couple sermon outlines, that kind of thing that we're just sharing for free to help kickstart the conversation. Fantastic. That's yeah. awesome. How can people, if they want to follow up with you, if they want to, um, you know, are you available on, on social? Are you, uh, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I Yep. I'm around, I'm around the internet here and there <laughs> I'm on social, um, on, on Twitter, I'm at B Griffin FYI. And, um, then if you visit our site, fulleryouthinstitute.org, there's, there's lots of other links and ways to connect with us there. Fuller Youth Institute is also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. All those places. Well, we appreciate so much your contribution to this really important conversation. I mean, this is really, we're watching the church reform right in front of us and uh, change and revitalize. And I think when people look back at this time in history, that's exactly what they're going to say. Uh, although it feels very uh, violent and chaotic and scary uh, for those of us who are leading, but this is all so, so encouraging. Any parting shots uh, for pastors listening out there. If you, if you had just a word of encouragement for them, um, you know, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for folks who are wondering, well, what, what kind of church does it really take to do this? What does it really take to grow young? And for people who are feeling kind of skeptical, <laughs> um, you know, I always like to say I, the kind of church it takes to grow young is your church. I mean, I think every church has capacity. You know, if you've got capacity to listen well, to someone from another generation, you've got capacity to grow young. If you've got capacity to increase the warmth and the relational, you know, connection in your church, to create a church that feels like family, um, you've got potential to grow young. You, you know, so I would just encourage leaders to look for what's already there, start with what's strong, build on that, and um, just to not lose hope because I think there's so much hope for the church. I'm more hopeful about the church than ever. Fantastic. Brad, thanks so much, man. It's, it's good stuff. And I can't wait. I'm going to turn this podcast right around and share it with some of my leaders right away to, because it's just so good. Such an important part of the conversation. And thanks for taking the time to share with us. Uh, we're, we're grateful. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thank you. Well, Jason, wow. Uh, what an amazing, just, I mean, great interview. First of all, Brad is fantastic. And just, you know, I'm sitting there listening and taking notes and just enjoying hearing 
his heart and kind of just spilling out of him all the stuff that he's been working on and the research that's gone into growing young and some of his other work. And you can just hear the passion in his voice to see the local church recapture uh, that, that heart and longing to see young people get it about Jesus and, and be a part of the, the community of the church. And so really grateful for that and uh, glad for the conversation. And so some key takeaways for me as, as a leader, I, I think the naming reality part for people helping get clearly uh, defined reality about where we actually are so that we can just be honest about our, where we're coming up short and what we need to work on. I, I mean, as much as anything, that's our work as leaders is to help name reality, help define reality and, and all those things. And then corresponding to that, if we're not quite getting it right when it comes to this reaching and growing younger and, and, and reaching the next generations, that I heard in that whole conversation that the pressure's off to be cool, to have the best of the best stuff and experiences, and that it all comes back to a willingness to be open to relationship. And I think that's, you know, you were kind of mentioning that too is one of your key takeaways. So how do you, how are you guys doing that? How do we make that real to become a warmer place um, and not just be cool and have all the cool stuff? What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I think it's exactly what you, what you said. It's, it's relationship. And just like any relationship, you know, the whole, I love the whole warm is warmth is the new cool. I just think that's really great. But to put some real practical ideas around that, it's about how do I create an environment where the the kids feel that they're welcome, where I not just give them room in the basement, so to speak, in the life of the church, but I give them room where they're prominent, you know, that shows that like we care about them. We value them. Um, We're not afraid to budget around them. You know, we, and because th- that's where it all kind of comes down to. And then it's about engaging with them. Just simple, like relational. How you doing? How's school? What's going on? You know, uh, oh, you're playing baseball. Uh, love to come catch a game sometime. Or, hey, yeah. will you go with me to uh, to the local soup kitchen? Uh, you know, we're going to get a few of us and we're, and we're going to go. It's really, and I felt like you said in the interview, it's such a sigh of relief that, these are things that pastors know how to do. Yeah. And, and it's really no different <laughs> than what it's always been uh, with younger generations. It's about yeah, fantastic. showing interest. It's about yeah. being there for them. Being, being genuinely interested and engaged with them. I, there's a woman in our church named Sheila who sits, uh, she's pretty uh, introverted lady, great lady, but she's, you know, just looking at her, you wouldn't think, man, she's got a heart for young people, right? You would kind of go, well, she probably likes that we have young people, but she makes a point of, meeting the young people and then remembering their name and just saying hi to them by name. And it just has a tremendous impact. That small, little, seemingly small effort is a big deal when someone from another generation remembers your name and just says, welcome. We're, I'm glad you're here. That's, and that's, that's the warmth part, right? That's the, that genuine part. And so um, we love it when that happens. And so I think our job as senior leaders is to try to, encourage those behaviors to exhibit those behaviors in our own approach to young people. Uh, and I was really appreciative of Brad saying um, growing young does not mean alienating the older part of the congregation. In fact, um, in some ways it, it can honor them and, and actually build some strength for the whole life of the congregation from yeah. your first steps to your last steps and everyone in between and reinvigorate so, them. You know, yeah. I, th- I thought that was a really great I think point. That's so crucial. I, mean, so I think in, it's true. 
I think instead of being suspicious of that, that more traditional group or something, we can see them as a resource in this effort too. And I, I was encouraged by that as well. Yeah. And man, just for all, all the pastors out there, this is hard, <laughs> right? It is, it is hard being a church leader in America today. And again, I do think that when people look at this time in history, they're going to see a whole shift in the way that we operate together as churches. But what an exciting time, too, for all of us, that we are all on the ground floor of this great experiment, revival, shift, revitalization, whatever you want to call it. It, But it, it feels like a movement, that there are some common traits to it. And it's exciting, but terrifying and confusing. <laughs> and yeah. so I just want to encourage all of our pastors out there. I mean, this is why we're doing this podcast. Um, we just want to keep talking about it and encourage others to be part of the conversation. And um, it, it's so, I find it personally so, so helpful to do that. Um, so man, this is really good. So we're uh, coming up on our next episode. I want to encourage everyone to tune in. Uh, we're taking a little break from youth ministry for a couple episodes. We're gonna, we'll come back to that uh, <laughs> probably not in not too long a time. But um, our next guest uh, coming up on episode 40 is Kim Walsh Phillips, who is uh, the CEO of Powerful Professionals. And uh, she is a marketing genius. She's got some books out on social media marketing. And uh, she's also a- an incredibly strong and faithful woman of God who her whole vision is to help churches build their platform and get that message out to the people. And uh, she's so, so good. And so she's going to be talking with us uh, next episode about how can churches do that and to do that on a low budget. Fantastic. And so looking forward to that conversation. Hope you'll join us for that as summer rolls along. Uh, you can reach us at Jason or Jesse at reclaimleader.com or check us out on Facebook. And in the meantime, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you the next time around. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 